The 2024 theme for Black History Month is Black Art and Black Artisans. I'll be exploring this topic in conversations with Black identifying art therapists about the ways they're using the expressive arts in therapy with Black children, parents, and families to process racialized experiences. In today's episode, I'm talking with Brooklyn, New York-based dance and movement therapist, Erin Bryce Holmes. Welcome back to Project Parenthood. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll help you repair and deepen your parent-child connection, increase self-compassion and cooperation from your kids, and cultivate joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. Erin Bryce Holmes is a licensed creative arts therapist, dance movement therapist, Mafundala instructor, and director of Bryce Entertainment, LLC. Erin has been an apprentice with Urban Bushwomen, a principal dancer with companies such as Kariamu and Company, Traditions, African American Dance Ensemble, Tania Isaac Dance, Dance Theater X, DeNovo, Efrat Ashery Dance, and she worked with Bill T. Jones developing the musical Fela. She traveled to West Africa to study the culture and has taught classes at Dance New Amsterdam, New York, Carlsbad High School, California, Central Academy of Technology and Arts, North Carolina, and has been a welcomed guest lecturer at both her alma maters, as well as UNC at Charlotte, North Carolina, and College of New Rochelle School of New Resources, New York, Antioch University, and Drexel University. Her award-winning choreography, Case of the X, was selected for an encore performance at the All-American Talent Awards, Pennsylvania, while another work, X Gone Give It To Ya, opened The Break, Urban Funk Spectacular, at the Strand Theater in York, Pennsylvania. Catching Subira, a collaboration with Mara Rivera and Nico LeBoy, was requested as a plenary event at the American Dance Therapy Association and National Dance Educators Organization Conference, and she presented at the Expressive Therapies Conference with Dan Walsh, teaching Mafundala Essentials for Dance Movement Therapy. She has presented choreography at Chen Dance Center, Brooklyn Ballet, and with Black Beatty for the New Artist Incubator Award through Dance Caribbean Collective. Erin is a dance movement therapist at Interfaith Medical Center, a certified Mfundala instructor for the Mfundala Teachers Intensive and Dancing Our Africa, Naningo, Alzheimer's Association, Brooklyn Walk Committee, teaches as a visiting instructor at Pratt Institute, and is director of Bryce Entertainment LLC, a therapeutic services company. Here's my chat with Erin. So hello, everyone. I'm here now with licensed creative arts therapist, dance movement therapist, Mfundala instructor and director of Bryce Entertainment LLC, Erin Bryce Holmes. Erin has been an apprentice with Urban Bushwomen, a principal dancer with companies such as Karamu and Company, Traditions, African American Dance Ensemble, Tania Isaac Dance, Dance Theater X, DeNovo, Efrat Ashbury Dance, and she worked with Bill T. Jones developing the musical Fela. Erin, I'm glad to have you here at Project Parenthood in the spirit of 
Black History Month's 2024 theme of art and artisans to talk with us a little bit about how you've been using dance and movement therapy to help Black folks process issues of racial trauma and to express feelings around liberation and resistance. So thanks so much for being here, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm beyond excited to have you here. This is such a really interesting topic, art therapy. And so let's just start with having you tell us a little bit about how your journey in art therapy has intersected with issues of anti-Blackness or oppression, whether that's with your clients or during your training or maybe even in your own personal therapy experiences even. Yeah, so in my own life, I got into dance therapy because dance itself has been so healing for me throughout my life. Um, And so my intersection when it comes to any kind of oppression or racialized trauma is that everything that I've done as a Black identifying dance movement therapist has been about showing how our culture has these moments where we can have maladaptive behaviors as Black folks, but we also have these places where we have a lot of healing set into the culture. So my work from doing my thesis while I was in grad school till now, the the sessions that I lead is all about that. It's, It's about bringing out what people already have within them and then just guiding them to like remember those experiences so that they can use that to function within a community. I like that way you're saying that idea of having the healing already within us. That reminds me of that um, that idea of like Dorothy's already wearing already wearing the red slippers. You know, she has the power to go home all along. I like that idea of the, of the things that we have, you know, within us already. Um, and you're helping people draw upon something that's already there. So pivoting um, a little bit, just you know, so let me know what are some ways that you've uh, used this medium of dance therapy um, to help Black folks make meaning of their racialized experiences and traumas using dance and movement. When I was younger, my mother taught me how to dance to the cha 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 song. Everybody do the cha cha cha. You know that song. So I remember those moments. And then if I fast forward into being a member, I'm a part of the underground, so house music, like I'm a house head. So all those different moments where I've moved with someone and had some kind of learning or education, some kind of exchange took place, that comes into the dance therapy session. So we're not necessarily going into the session being like, okay, we're going to start doing this today. It's more about people coming in and not being able to verbalize how they feel. So you're using movement, using a nonverbal form or mode of communication, which we all know. That's when that's going back to when you think about things that you already know, things that you already do. We all communicate without words, non-verbally, whether it's the cueing or just the eye contact, or way somebody, you know, like your friend can, I always had this friend, a friend who always, she'd give me like this pinch on my leg to mean something. Like it was just like between us or the people that knew that she did that, be like, pay attention to this moment right now, what's happening. It could be any setting that we're in, a church, a school, anything like that. So I think that those early memories for me come into my session because I'm remembering other moments where I was with a group of people or with another person moving. There are these nonverbal ways. Um, I'm hearing you say that sometimes you're not really sure where the session is going to go or what someone has to express or needs to work through. And so uh, because I don't know anything about dance therapy and how that works, what does a session kind of look like or how does it sort of, what is the flow of a session? How does it usually, how do you sort of move in and out of a session when you are working with someone? So ideally I work in a acute inpatient adult care setting. So I go around the unit and I announce the group that's about to occur, say where it is on the unit because, you know, people make 
they might they may be more disoriented so they're either following me to the room or meeting me at the space and then people come in and it's a psychiatric setting right so they're signing in so that i have a record of attendance when people are in and out they're sanitizing their hands so we're practicing hand hygiene so before we even start we're just doing these these regular everyday normal tasks that can help someone to organize themselves and be oriented to the space and then usually the chairs, everything's moved out of the way. People that already know how the dance therapy session works will come into that space and form a circle naturally. Otherwise, people might just be wandering around the room. Some people sit down. And then so I'm picking up on how they're feeling right away. So I can that can guide me in what song choice I choose, if I even put on music. For me, I use the whole environment. So if I could control the lights, right, like how bright or how dim we're going to have the, the group be for that moment. And then it's a dance movement therapy session. So the operative word being dance or movement, but stillness is still movement. So I just go into the space already ready to just have them kind of communicate to me in that way without me actually saying how they're by feeling today. My job is to observe and see how they're interacting with, with each other once they come to the space, how they're entering into the space. And then that guides what I decide to do next. So I might have to give more of a directive approach because people are more isolative, not talking as much to each other, or they might be already engaged and ready to go. And somebody's already doing a two-step and I'm just following through so that they're actually leading the session. It's just that I'm pulling out things that could help to bring about different things. Um, Claire Smace talks about the healing process, therapeutic healing processes. So there's synchrony, and cohesion, there's different elements that are gonna come through as we're moving that can bring about that sense of healing. And then that can go on for 45, 50 minutes to an hour. And people are gonna come in and out, some people are gonna sit down and take breaks because at the end of the day, they are moving and this might not be the most athletic group of people, right? They're taking medications, they're tired, some people are more resistant, they don't feel like they need to be there. So there's all these ways that we're moving together where eventually somebody else might want to do something or have a memory or image come up and then they'll say that out loud. And then we all can kind of jump in on that. Oh, this image of oh, my grandmother used to be planting flowers. Maybe just because we're tossing in, the movement takes us there. And then now we have this image of somebody's grandmother and then everybody starts to build on that. So movement is coming out of what we're discussing because we could be talking as we're moving. One of my strengths I've been told is that I don't necessarily speak. I'm just moving with people and guiding them in this nonverbal way, which everybody always seems to think is really cool. So I'm with you, but I'm not necessarily using words with you because that's not everybody's strength, right? So if they get prescribed or they're interested in dance movement therapy, we have to assume that's for a reason. Maybe that's not their strength, but also they want to be embodied. So using the body to communicate. And then at the end of that, then now can we verbalize how we felt? Maybe I knew in the beginning or I had a suspicion or I could be wrong, which is great as a therapist because they're telling you their story through the movement. So by the end now people can verbalize how they feel or just say if they felt a shift, like they felt really down and now they feel better and they don't always know why. But eventually as they keep coming to the sessions, they'll be like, oh, I'm moving. I can't remember the last time I moved. So sometimes it's just that simple for some folks. They just want to come in and move. They just want to exercise. They just want to be in their body. The deeper level of that then is that as we're moving, what we're doing as we're moving is saying something about how we feel and our internal states and thoughts. And all of our thoughts are affecting our behavior. So they're getting that in 50 minutes just with dance. We might not ever get to the point where we actually verbalize how we felt. I finished a session the other day where we finished by going out into the hallway and they were dancing from the the music and movement room 
on their way to lunch. So it was not a verbal processing of how we felt, but also I noticed a shift from how they started to that moment. They would have never started the session 50 minutes ago by dancing in the hallway, but they had that much joy that that was able to transition them to the next activity. That's one version of a session, but because everyone's coming in at different times, it's different patients or clients each time, it's a different day, there might be a different prompt, different things are gonna happen each time. You know, I, I love what you're saying about that nonverbal piece and this this idea that not everybody's communication is preferred me- method of communication or um, is, is verbal, right? This idea that you can have these ways of communicating, you're sort of um, communicating with them. You use the, those terms like cohesion, right? And um, that idea, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my own the ways in which I feel very filled up just when I'm dancing, you know, you were talking about house music, but you know, if I go out dancing to like, you know, the golden age of hip hop, you know, I'll go out dancing and just dancing all night long in a group full of, you know, people who all know this song or who all were alive at that era, (laughs) like I was, and really just how it feels like something to be like uh, experiencing and moving with people, uh, that that collectivity, that community movement um, is really powerful. And I'm wondering, are there ways that you have throughout your work, either in your the setting where you work now or in various other uh, settings that you've worked in, in dance movement therapy, you know, in ways that, that maybe there have been more specific processing of like racialized material or, you know, things like movements that people have been doing specifically for either connecting to or processing through um, feelings related to racial healing, ancestral healing, social justice, liberation, resistance, those kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of instances instances of that. I came out of grad school into being a new professional with that. So it's interesting that you said you go out and you're in your golden age of hip hop and everybody's feeling like there's something that's coming out of that experience where you feel like, oh, this felt great. But you don't specifically know to pinpoint what that is because you're not necessarily in that mode of like witness observer. So my work in grad school was to actually go back into the underground. So I go out into different club settings, hip hop settings, house, and just kind of taking the cipher and seeing like, what is this when it happens naturally, when it's someone forming that intentionally, what healing properties are occurring. So I actually applied what I was learning in school to my own life. And so the the racialized, I don't know if the word would be oppression or just there's this system, there's systems in place within the education system and all the systems are intertwined. But I was talking about this earlier with a student. It's like, if you are taught one thing and then what you're doing is the opposite of that, it's teaching you that you're wrong. So if you say simply something to me as far as like, well, you can't play music and dance therapy sessions that have lyrics because then people are not gonna be authentic in their experience because they're following what the lyrics are saying. But how much of our culture as black people is put into song? That's a protective factor for us. The music, the art that people take as a commodity to make money off of is how we've incorporated our healing. So yeah, I need the lyrics. The lyric is the story. We're storytellers. And it's coming from the continent of Africa where people griot, they're griots. It's an oral tradition. So, but the education system is not an Africanized, right? Like that's not the approach. So if everything has to be in written form 
and I'm not supposed to do this or that. And you don't have the lens, you don't have the proper training to know, like, wait, you don't second guess the system, then it's almost like we're taking on the oppression. It's like I'm trying to adjust to the system when the system really needs to adjust to me. So the thesis that I wrote was about that. And earlier on, I mean, I was doing all this and not even thinking, like, I'm actually making my life harder <laughs> because I could just do what they're saying and then just pass. But it was like, this is, you have to do what you feel good with, you know, when it comes to something like your your life, your culture, and how we just represent when we enter into these spaces. So that was one early kind of way that I could recognize and try to rectify that. And then I think just our movement profiles, the way that we judge how people move into a space is based off of a European aesthetic, not an Afrocentric kind of like movement beha behavior. So just the way people carry themselves and then, then uh, like letting that equal aggression and letting that it's like but that might just be the way that person moves or that person walks like you don't know the community that they come from everybody where they're from walks like that or moves like that or moves that quickly so that can't we can't make assumptions based off of a system that wasn't designed to see everyone and how they move as far as the movement profile um i mean i could go on and on with that but yeah those are ways I see that showing up. I'm sure and you I, many things. I, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the whole podcast, right? But I feel like there's also, when I'm teaching the students about how to design group protocols and how to run sessions, I'm like, there's a whole session that I designed years ago, it's like over a decade now, where it was, it's called Body Impressions, The Healing Power of Dance. And everywhere I go, I'm teaching students how to use their culture to design sessions because I was in a setting where they didn't feel like they were hearing the music that they needed to move to. They didn't feel seen, they didn't feel heard. And so that whole session is about incorporating drumming and more Afrocentric music into the session and even having a directive approach where I'm teaching them Hunula that you were talking about. It's like, that can be our warm up. We don't have to use yoga or ballet to warm ourselves up to get ready for the day or to start this session. So when they need a more directive approach, that's how I assess what they need. That's the approach that I'm coming in with. It's a Pan-African movement technique created by Mama Kariyama, who's an African-American woman. And that's based off of our tradition within um, African dance. And then we build on that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. So it's a whole, Thing within the field of dance movement therapy, but then also we know all these systems are connected, healthcare, education, like there's so much trauma that's being reenacted over and over again. Just if I walk in the shoes of my patients, by the time they get to me, they've already experienced so many moments of oppression that when they're coming to me, they're like, miss, I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. It's like, yeah, because I can just imagine what they went through before they even got to me to see someone that looks like them it's a lot, but then also that's why I'm here in these spaces because they need to see someone that looks like them just for a moment. Like it might, it's acute care. They're only here for up to like two weeks, three weeks. It's just having those moments that can be really healing too. Even if you don't come to my session, just like there's a black lady walking around here. <laughs> so you're like, at some point, if I'm gonna go to therapy, I might go to her session. <laughs> or that the fact that you exist, that there, there are black therapists out there. I mean, I have absolutely met in in these more community mental health systems i have you know gone out to the lobby to get new clients that i have not met before and let's say it's a child client um but they're they're with their parent and i've had one time i came out and both parent and child 
just burst into tears. They were so happy to see me. We've never even had an option of having a black therapist and they were just crying. They were so happy to, that, that, that I was even an option for them. I, it was like moving. It was, it was like overwhelming for me just to think about how much yeah. I had been through for it to mean that much to them to see me. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's a big deal. It's been in place so long for you to not be a part of that profession that when they see you, you're like a unicorn because it still is changed. Like that's a new change. That's not something that's been going on for years to have so many options of people of color to be your therapist. Cause we, I mean, we don't go to therapy, right? Like we go, we pray, we go to our family members. Like there's things we did that were protected because who's going to go to therapy with someone who's telling you, you don't understand me. You didn't, you don't seek to understand me. So why would I pay you $200 an hour to then prescribe me something that I might not necessarily need because you're looking through a Euro European type of lens. Like that's, you know, so it's a lot. And so the profession is still, it's still a new thing to have black therapists as an option. Absolutely that. And as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking too about, you're talking about these um, sort of African-American centric dance movement kind of practices um, that, that maybe you have experience with. And I'm wondering, you know, you talked at the top about, you know, being in your psychiatric setting where maybe somebody begins a session uh, feeling one way, right, but ends the session feeling another way after having um, done some movements. And have you had any memories that you've had of working with people specifically through those sort of more Afrocentric movement techniques where people have felt or expressed to you some kind of releasing of something or movement of something, uh, of feelings throughout their body, some sort of embodied way that they are releasing something through these methods? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering... Um, about that healing aspect or that aspect of, of being able to shift feelings inside oneself um, through movement? Yeah, so more recently, um, the session that I mentioned to you where we left the room on that kind of high of feeling the joy, it actually started, that session started with just one single person. And so if you come into the room, it's just me and you and you know, the person's starting off like, I'm not really moving today. Like, I'm not really feeling it. I'm like, okay. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I might get there, but I'm not going to force that. So it's like, all right, well, what would you like to do with the tools that I have today? I have space, meaning the room, all the chairs are pushed back, and I have music. So the person said, I'll just listen to the music. It's like, okay. So the door is open. People can hear the music. They start to come in. This person starts to move. What music I selected was breakbeat. And so I'm not B-girl, I just hang out with them, right? So I had a whole mix from my friend and it just, the choice of that was just, we never listen to this, this person always comes to music listening. Let me find something that they haven't heard since it's just the two of us in the room. He can talk to me about that and we'll see. My only knowledge though, uh, you know, I have prior knowledge aside from the diagnosis is that this person uh, lives in Brooklyn and is of a certain age. So it was appropriate for me to do the break beats. Now, people always think of hip hop like it's for the young people. But if we think about it, what did we say last year was a golden age of hip hop. So 50 is not a younger person. That's another generation's music also. So you have to give them that. So I put that on, starts to tap, starts to move a little bit more. So it's coming out of the depressive state and it's coming through in the body. So we're, we're moving from the chair up onto our feet. Eventually somebody slightly older comes in, also from Brooklyn. Now they're throwing out, they're verbalizing 
how they're reminiscing like, oh, this song was in a movie. Oh, this song's from back in the day. Oh, when I used to hear this song. Oh, I used to break. Oh, people used to be outside on the cardboard. And they're just having this conversation as we're moving. And I think the movement was just a simple two-step, but that even that movement started to change as people started to reminisce and think to back in the day. So then now I can start to elicit from that image. Like, oh, how did you move when you heard a song like this back in the day? And then so we're riding off of that image that they brought in only simply because the person said, I don't really want to move today. That shifted the whole session. So by the time they call for lunch, right, we don't really want to, like you can feel, they really don't want to stop. So that was the inclination for me to say, okay, we'll, we'll dance from this room to the next room. So they were doing their own kind of version of the two-step, but it was more of the B-boy stylized version without me teaching them how to necessarily do that. Now they're watching me, you know, I'm mirroring them. But always when they're like, oh, you're so you're so great dancer, you're so good. I'm like, I'm doing what you're doing. They don't even get that reflected back to them that they have these strengths. So it's cool to see that because they're kind of like, oh, that's that's what I've been doing. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you were moving. I'm just I'm just following you. You're actually leading me. So to see that for them, it, it's kind of trippy. But I saw the shift from being more hunched, the one person, to kind of being more up and had a, he had a bop, he had some rhythm and was just kind of like doing his own two-step, his own way of walking down the hallway by the end of that session. Because our audience and our listeners right now are our parents, right? I'm thinking about the ways in which parents can use music and movement in their interactions with their children, right? I, I think about my own child and the ways in which we, sometimes when we are feeling, when, I was, when my child was much younger, my child is eight, but uh, when my child was more of a toddler age and Sometimes, you know, it's maybe it's raining. We've been inside for several days or something. And I just am feeling stagnant. And it's like, let's have a dance party and like some, I'll just put some music on and we're just dancing around. And and it does really sometimes shift my own mood. If I were feeling kind of overwhelmed by my parenting role or, um, you know, having, bringing some joy into the interaction. But also something I'm hearing you say too, is that call and response piece, the way that you are sort of, you know, as you're saying, you're reflecting back the movements this this person is making, and they don't even notice that like that's coming from them. You're sort of like you're mirroring them and being reflective of them. And I think that that is another way that parents can, you know, communicate with children in that way of sort of mirroring their movements. Um, you know, sort of sort of following them. You know, we we do a lot of uh, having kids following us, right? So it's, I can even imagine how, like, if a parent is sort of mirroring their child's movements and and what could, that can feel like for a child to be, like, the leader, sort of, um, of the movements that are happening and um, how that in and of itself can feel powerful to a child and um, and meaningful. Um, like, someone can see me. Someone is is really seeing me on a deeper level, seeing what I'm doing with my body. And uh, just thinking of ways that pe- parents can bring this kind of dance movement therapy kind of techniques and things into their everyday lives with their children. I find this to be such um, such an interesting thing, especially as you're talking about the ways we can bring our own cultures into these spaces. You know, obviously, we are not the only culture that has music attached to it in different ways, Right. You know, there's probably so many cultures that can bring their different movement and music ways into these therapeutic techniques, which I find is so amazing, such an uh, amazing way to connect with yourself, but also your ancestors, right? And I really like that idea of connection ancestry through music, through movement. I, I saw one of the videos 
you'd made, um, I don't know when it was, but it was some YouTube video that you were doing that um, Mafundala uh, kind of dance movement. And it was, and even just watching you in that video, just even, even just seeing you make these movements felt connected in some way. You know, I just felt like I was, uh, I was like just connecting through watching you doing that. It felt like a connected way of just like, I know these movements are like, they're not just of this time, right? They're like movements from long ago that we can bring back into this time that like still live inside of us. I think it's so powerful. Yeah. And when I think about my own connections with people, like anyone outside of my culture, I became friends with people through dance, even people that are not dancers. So one of my close uh, best friends is half Puerto Rican, half Ecuadorian. And I can remember being at her house and dancing. So I don't remember if she was showing me something or her mother was showing me something or we were watching something, but I have a connection to her through her culture. And it could be you just go and you do something with your kid that's just experiencing another food. That's not usually what you cook at night or what you don't eat. It's just having these experiences with your parent is just, it can be life-changing because that can take you forward. So if my mother had never danced with me when I was younger, like, would I be different as a mover? Would I still be, have entered into this profession? So that was an early experience before I had a dance lesson, before I was a member of the underground community. Your home is your community. So that's how I learned about her. That's how I learned about my family and other things where it's just like the women gather. Like I was allowed to be in the room because I knew how to not talk. The little kids talk sometimes too much. They get kicked out of the room, right? I was smart enough. I was like, oh, this is cool. All these women get together. Let me be. And I would hear stuff I should not have heard that still to this day, I don't even know if the older women (laughs) know that I know, but just everything around community gathering just always interested me. So anything where you can pull your child into that, where they can feel safe, I think would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, too, about these, um, these ways in which this connection to yourself, right? But also the ancestors, right? This idea of when I think of, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, so many, obviously here in Brooklyn, there's just so many millions of cultures here, right? And, um, you know, Jewish culture, right? Like there's so much music involved in in Jewish culture um, and dance movements. And I think about how ancient they are. You know, when I've seen people, you know, um, Jewish people like in their circles doing their like community dancing, dances that they might do together and thinking about how old they must be, how, how much history is in these movements that people are making together with their families, with their communities. I don't know, there is, there's something about movement. I mean, you're, you're the, you're the movement person. You tell me like, why, why is there so much going on in movement? Like, what is that? Like, what is going on in that? It's so amazing. It's just so amazing. We never had to put into words. We just did them. And so now we live in this age where everything has to be verbalized and typed out and posted on social media and I think it's amazing that parents are dancing with their kids on TikTok, but what if you don't even record that and post that and you just do that, right? Just like the doing is the healing. So I think even the concept of a circle, like a circle is not a dance movement therapy. We don't own that as a profession. That's just a circle. People, why do people form a circle? Like even within their community, why does the cipher exist in hip hop? or the Bansaba, the dancing ground in African culture. It's just, these things just occur and then we put words to it, but 
that's always been there. So like you said, when you go to different cultures and you see the movement styles and the fact that people are even moving or there's that circle dance. Like, I feel like every culture has like a circular dance. <laughs> and it's just like, what is that about the repetition? And there's their power in that. We know that through African dance when we study that. We know that through dance movement therapy. Something that is circular, spirals, becomes more powerful. We see that in nature. If you think about a tornado, right? You see that circle, that's meaning something. That circle's coming closer to you. you. What do you do? You don't stand there. So it's the same thing. That's evoking some kind of power. And so it's such a part of nature that we can put words to that, but then also there's not enough words for something as simple as just that shape and what that can mean in unity and wholeness and all the, the language that we don't necessarily have because it's a nonverbal thing that's occurring. So the words aren't always there for these nonverbal things that are occurring because they're nonverbal and they have to exist non-verbally because there's not enough words does that make sense it's like this philosophical yes. thing yeah it's like the yin yang yeah. yeah it's like it's just there it just exists like i can talk about it all day but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so when you look at all different cultures everybody's moving everybody's creating circles and shapes together yeah Right. It's not always about language. Right. I think about like indigenous people who can track animals. Right. Like I'm going to put my my hand on the ground or I'm going to like it's not always about like things you can like communicate with words. Right. It's like I'm going to look at this branch. I'm going to like put my hand on this thing and I'm going to like use other mediums besides just verbalization to understand something. Um, and I, I, I find that to be really important, sort of like what you said in the beginning, right? Like there's, there's a way in, of um, sort of stripping those kinds of things away in, in um, sort of a, when we get that Eurocentric kind of focus of like things that have to be so tangible and like proof and like rules and like there's so many like things that are not as, where we don't have as much uh, like uh, connection to, um, oh, oh my Okay, here we are. We got, we came back. I got lost you for a second. Um, but we don't have as much connection to just intuition or just like feeling states or, um, you know, information that we can get that is beyond the tangible, you know? And um, I, I think that there's something about that. Like I dance movement therapy is, is like interfacing with that or an art therapy in general is like interfacing with that less tangible way of knowing things. Yeah. I, I like to say like a circle is still a line. It's just a line. It's a line that curves. And people are like, oh, you can't do this. You have to exactly. do this. It's like, but I could do that this way. Like, why don't we look at it from this perspective? It's not that I'm not doing what you asked. I'm just doing things a little bit differently. Right. More than one way. It's a more than one way to get from point A to point B. Right. Um, so many different ways. Um, <laughs> That made me think of my child, right? It's sort of like, do you want to get, do you want to get to the bath by skipping or spinning in circles? Or would you like to walk backwards? <laughs> like, it's like, maybe we could get there in a and fun way. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yes, yes. They get to the point where they're adults and then we're like, you have to just walk. Like, why can't you skip to the bath? That's great. Why can't you? Why can't you? Exactly. I'm going there as long as you get why there. You? Get there however you want. Yes. And that's what happens with my patients. Sometimes they're like not remembering the last time they moved or danced is when they were younger. And I'm like, why? And then people have all these reasons why. We talk about adulting, but it's like, really, why? 
Like why? Not even on your own in your room or just like when you're waiting for the train or you heard a song that you really like nothing got you moving in all this time. And then you start to get through to all the feelings because of what people are feeling is kind of limiting how they express themselves through movement. Like think about a child. I'm like just thinking about all the kids that I, I know. Mean, they didn't move. Now we have the cameras and we're doing the stuff move. to influence what's happening in the movement, but they just move. They just move. I noticed that about children. I, when I first moved to the city and, you know, when like, um, and being on the street, and I noticed that children don't just walk down a street. They're like hopping, they're skipping, they're going sideways, they're moving in circles. Like they don't just walk, you know, they're just, they've got all kinds of things that are going on. Right. And, and I do think that as we get older, we, you know, society tells us to like, you need to contain that. You just, you just start making yourself smaller yeah. and more it's like you organized, joy. you know? Um, and I think that children sort of naturally yeah. move you around don't a lot. Skip. But then someone's like, well, when you feel joy, once you're older, you're not allowed to skip anymore. You're going to have to find another way to express that. It's like, but what if I just like to skip? Why can't I? That's how I express my joy. Yes. And there are so many ways to express ourselves through movement. And um, well, I, I'm, I was sort of just, I was uh, sort of agreeing with you, just that idea of expressing joy through whatever way you might want to move and, and through skipping or whatever. And, you know, as we're coming to the end, um, you know, I just wanted to find out a little bit more, you know, as I was learning about you and you were talking about, I, I know that may, maybe not everyone in our audience has seen Fela, um, the musical, but, um, but there was so much in that, in, in the choreography in that show um, that is sort of, you know, when we're talking about Afrocentric culture and African culture, so much that of that that pulled into that show. And in terms of those kinds of companies that you've been involved in that are, you know, these African Afrocentric dance movements and companies, you know, how does that, how do you channel those things? And how, you know, what is it like to bring those kinds of ancestral knowings in terms of movement into these kind of um, choreographed, sort of uh, organized ways of uh, putting things together, right? Like marrying those two things, marrying these sort of more spiritual ancestral kind of movements and putting them into more choreographed, like, you know, this is gonna be performed again and again and again. So it's gonna have to be a bit organized, right? You know, how, how what has been your experience of marrying those things? Um, well, when you're performing already, you're taking something out of its natural setting, right? Like I'm. I'm placing something on stage that traditionally might just be done in a community in somebody's backyard or in the cut or, you know, on a block. So I think it's a it's performative, but it's also educational. So working with Baba Chuck Davis, you got to see how we could go on this cultural art safari that he had going on for decades where people would come from the States and go to Senegal and Gambia and we're moving with people within the natural setting of where everybody's just outside doing the dances. So we're doing Lamban and that's just a dance that's traditionally done for a celebration. And then we take that and we place that on the stage. Things are being modified for performance, but then the elements of Africa come back in because now people are going to solo. They're going to go and they're just going to be improvising and going off the top of the dome and they're going to the drummer and the drummer's speaking to them. And so now you're having that element that was missing maybe towards the top of the show always comes back into an African dance performance. So it's like you're learning from the tradition and then you're doing this 
um, I want to say like the America, like it's on stage and we show everybody what we learn. But then in your core is this need to just move with not in the way that somebody told you to, just in how you feel. And that always comes into those dances there. And it's the same in, in hip hop, in house. That's a improvisational setting and format. So we might be in a club and not be on the street like people used to be back in the day. But then now you're seeing all those elements are still present, even though we're in a different space, because the music and the dance transcend. So no matter where you go, you're carrying your culture with you. So I can just walk into a space and there's so much information in just how I walk into that space, what I'm wearing, what I choose to say, how I choose to say that. I use my hands a lot my accent. So I don't realize how I sound so New York until I leave New York and somebody goes, where are you from? And you say New York and they go, I thought so. So we carry all that with us without even realizing. So tapping into something that you already carry with you is so powerful. So because I have that knowledge, that learned knowledge, and like you said before, the intuition, when you marry those together, like I'm going back to the continent to study, but then also I carry that with me. So even though my ancestors have gone through everything that they've gone through from the transatlantic slave trade to now and what we're still fighting for as far as our rights in America and all around the country, I have something that no one could take from me. So you can kill us off, but you can't take my soul. You can't take my spirit. You can't take my, what my ancestors have put into me through the dancing, through the singing, through the hair, the way we do our movements. The, the way we move, the way we dress, everything goes back to something traditional. So once people can see those, they can connect those dots, whether it's through therapy or being with their family members in a community setting, barbecues, church service, like all those things you're putting into the next generation just by allowing them to come into that space. So I don't know if that answers your question, <laughs> but I think I have what I have within me and I've learned how to tap into that. So that's how I'm marrying those two, the tradition with, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what I'm thinking about and when I'm thinking about the parents who might be listening, I'm thinking about the ways in which people can tap into exactly what you're saying. Like you've got something inside of you, right? You have like ancestral knowing inside of you and you can share that, you know, just allowing yourself to be able to tap into that yourself and allowing your and inviting your child to join you in that or join your your partaking in that is is a is you're giving your child another medium through which they can communicate with themselves and with and with others that isn't only verbal, right? And and I also am thinking and I'm wondering about this as we're ending too. If we think about this in terms of, as I always do when I think about Black History Month and Blackness in general, I, I think about resistance, right? And I think about the ways in which, you know, as certainly as we're talking about those of us who crossed the Atlantic and ended up here, the resistance that is always, uh, that's always like runs through our culture. And, and I'm wondering, not just in your group experiences of dance movement therapy, but also like, I'm wondering if, if if you if you even have these, I'm not so sure whether you work more more in groups versus one on one. But have you seen that in sort of intersection of resistance and dance and movement, um, being able to put those together in some ways, either on an individual basis or on a group basis? Um, can you tell us any of your experiences with that? Well, I would say that dance is protest. So if somebody's in, we work individually or in group settings here. 
Um, but if somebody's coming to the dance session, a lot of times I've noticed that they're using that as a way to protest showing their doctor that they don't need medication, showing their doctor that they can't take their happiness. Like you got me in here, but I'm going to go to this session and I'm going to experience some happiness, even though I don't want to be here. So they're using movement to protest. And so when I think about protest itself, when people are outside and they're marching and they have their signs and fists in the air, I think of that as mental health. So dance is a form of protest and protest is a form of mental health. And that can happen here in the hospital or that could happen on the street. That is such, that's perfect. That's a perfect way to put it. It does feel like, it does feel like that, that is a way of resisting. Certainly, I mean, listen, during, you know, the, the George Floyd uprisings, you know, just lots of black bodies in the street dancing and chanting. And I mean, that, that's so much resistance, you know, showing all of that togetherness and all of that joy is certainly resistance in and of itself. I want to thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me. This brings up so many, I have so many things percolating now around this, and I, I find it to be so inspiring just thinking about, thinking about, you know, being a mental health person myself and just having another, just another avenue to think about processing through our emotions, our feelings, our pain, you know, and, and, and this is another avenue through which one can do that, our joy. Let's throw that in there as well. You know, I, I just want, I want to thank you for being here to have this conversation with me. And I'd love to, I'd love to keep in touch. And I, I, I can think of all kinds of, all kinds of collaborations I can, I can think of in my mind. Oh, yes, definitely. This is great. This is fun. I could talk about dance therapy and resistance and culture all day. So thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Um, and before we before we end, tell people where they can find you if if they want to work with you or find out more about you. Where can they find you? I'm on IG and Facebook under Bryce Entertainment. So on Facebook, it would be www.facebook.com/slash Bryce Entertainment, and on IG, they can at me at Bryce Entertainment LLC. Um, and I'd love to talk with people about dance therapy and any of that that they have questions about, or if they want to do any further work together. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of Project Parenthood. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found this helpful. Be sure to join me live on Instagram at BK Parents on Monday, February 26, at 12.45 p.m. for my monthly Ask Dr. Core, and get your questions answered in real time. If you have a question for me about parent-child relationships, respectful parenting tips, and or parental mental health that you'd like me to cover in a future episode, shoot me an email at parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. Leave a message at 646-926-3243 or leave a message on Instagram at BKParents. And you can learn about my private practice working with parents living in New York State at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. See you next week.